Okay, we're actually, <laughs> we're actually finally in the back into the string continuity. We're back into this. Let's do this. Manny Cotto wrote this one. I was having trouble determining the exact moment at which it was decided that Manny Cotto was going to take over as the new executive producer. The decision had assuredly happened by now. I could say with pretty decent certainty on that one. Uh, but even that I'm not 100% sure of. So I'll talk more about that when we actually get into season four and this changeover. Most of you probably know the general story. There was a demand to shake things up. Uh, season four almost wasn't renewed. It had been renewed by now. So, you know, there were, there was going to be a season four. And it was decided that they needed to shift away from Berman and Braga, probably for the best. And they decided to overhaul a significant amount of the behind the scenes personnel in order to completely change how the show was being structured, built, and generally written and designed. This kind of comes forward into this a little bit, but there are some other caveats here which we'll talk about. We're not there yet. I just wanted to mention that in advance so you're ready for it. By the way, if I look a little bit weird, uh, I spent the last two and a half days helping my sister with yard work. So it's actually been a bit since I did the last episode for once, because usually I do these back-to-back. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a little sunburnt. <laughs> A little bit of sun. So if you're wondering, that's what's going on there. Anyways, <clears throat> David Livingston directed this one, as usual. Good stuff, good stuff. And this episode was even nominated for an Emmy for special effects, which, yeah, I can see it. There's a lot of good ones. You can really tell they started pushing the money into these final few episodes here. That being said, it did lose that Emmy nomination. <laughs> we'll cover that in a bit. So then we have the Tutarians. This was, from what I understand, Livingston's idea. He wanted to showcase... He wanted to make it the alien nature of them come across, but budget limitations and technology of a TV show. So they're like, Ugh. what they ended up doing was they had this big white room and the whites, the whites, the, the white lights were turned up very bright, white light bright. And so there's this, you know, and then, but what they would do is they would have the camera. You probably can't quite tell because of the background, but the camera's moving almost constantly as it's going through them, but not in a standard way, not in a way you would block normal people. And he kept asking the actors to turn as they were giving their lines in ran in, well, not in random directions, but in specific directions as if they are talking to someone over there, even though the other person would come in from the other side and so forth. Just to add to the surreal nature of it. It's a minor touch, but it does help sell it, and I thought it was actually pretty decent, and I wanted to comment on it. This leaves... <laughs> well, this leads to the problem of this episode. The Tutarians themselves are the biggest threat here. I mean, duh, we know this by now. But my point is, there's a bit where a Tutarian shows up to talk to Degra. Degra says dismissed to his assistant. The assistant doesn't move. Then he says it again. Then the assistant looks at the Tutarian, she nods, and then he leaves. That right there. That is the difficulty that they are facing. Now, later on in this very episode, uh, Degra will state this outright to Archer about, you know, the nature of how long they've been venerating these people and blah, 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 blah. But that little showcasing right there... That's all you really need to see to know just how difficult this decision is going to be and how much difficulty it's going to you know, involve. Thankfully, they only have to in, in, uh, convince a council that invokes only a just handful of people. What is it, like 10 total, I think? Instead of, say, trying to convince an entire people, imagine trying to convince a hundred or a thousand people that something that they have been brought up to believe for decades is actually completely provably wrong. No real-life jokes here. So, 
The Tutarian's technique is interesting. The first thing she does is she says, you know, we wanted the Zindi to be allied and unified and together and strong and all these different things. And she uses this kind of tactic with him. She also is a little bit more loose in how she talks. She doesn't get demandy. Instead, she gets thready. You could have been glorified, but instead you will be remembered as a betrayer. And she acts all wounded. Oh, what did we do to lose your faith? Which is why his response amuses the hell out of me. You never deserved my faith. <laughs> so, this then leads to uh, the challenge faced. Once again, by the way, once again, the what we have to do, you know, we do what we must concept is still being present throughout this. It's just, in this case, it's being expressed in a, a more complex form than it usually is when it comes to this kind of fiction. I do what I must, which is convince a council of my mortal enemies the fact that their venerated deity figures are actually wrong and evil. And you might think, duh, but really think about that. Really think about how hard that would be to do. Really think about what it would take to accomplish that. <laughs> Once again, the, the, the theme continues prevalent here, even in these uh, unusual little ways. Hey, we also get names. We have this weird thing towards the beginning where we finally get names for all these characters we've been seeing since the first episode, all the way back in Z the Zindi. And then we see Dalem. Now, this is interesting. Dalem comes up and they strong arm him, strong arm him into allowing them to go to interact with the council. This is a fantastic little bit of political theater right here. Because, honestly, it might have worked out better if they had just destroyed Dalem's ship, but at the same time, it almost assuredly would have turned out worse. See, here's the thing. What they did was they said, Dalem, get out of our way. And Dalem says, no, I will not. And they say, okay, well, we'll fire a warning shot and then lock weapons on you. You will not impede us in bringing this information to the council. Then Dalem acquiesces and everything's cool. If Dalem had fired on them, they could fire back and everything's cool. See, that's kind of the catch, the interesting bit here. If they had just destroyed Dalem's ship, that would have actually been against their favor, and that would have caused them to lose political brownie points. But they managed to maintain the political high ground by virtue of allowing their enemy to get the first shot in, even knowing how disastrous that would be. And since they didn't, they don't take the first shot back, even though that could be disastrous too. Thus, they managed to maintain what they need here, because this is not really a military situation. This is a political one. And thus, this action is absolutely the correct choice to make here, politically speaking. Anyways, this then leads to Hoshi. Hey, you're, you're just going to be a translator. Okay, that sucks. I do like the cultural touch of the fact that the council, the council of this particular nation of Zindi, meets in a formal avian stronghold. There's a wonderful poetry to that almost. Think about it. It, it. it serves as a constant reminder of what they have lost and of the fact that, you know, there was this former race, which, you know, this is why we must not uh, let ourselves be divided. No matter what our differences are, we will have a constant visual reminder all around us of the fact that this is what happens when we are divided. It's, it's a nice little cultural tidbit. It's a shame they don't, you know, go into it a little bit more, but it's cool. So, yes, this leads to the proper Star Trek boss level. Oh, don't mistake me, fighting a big boss battle is cool and something that Star Trek has done several times, but 
Well, in my opinion, Star Trek's at its best when the boss battle is when you talk the enemy down, not shoot the enemy down. I know, I'm a weirdo, and I'm especially a weirdo since I tend to love war stories, and most of my own stories tend to be war-related, but it still tends to, I still tend to lean heavily on that side of things. This is, of course, a great challenge, as we've already emphasized, and, well, this is actually playing it on hard mode, because not only are we having to convince our mortal enemies who venerate deities who say we must be destroyed, but Archer is the one who's doing it. Again, that's not making fun of Archer. Remember, Archer is not that great at his job. And again, I don't mean that as an insult. This is, a, this is an explorer and a pilot who was politically connected, who was flung out into the space because he was the captain and the son of the engineer, blah, 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 blah. You know, politically connected, like I said. And he just kind of bumbled his way around. And despite what season one and two kept shoving down our throats, he is not always right. Season three has finally allowed for the possibility that he is not always right. And, you know, that will continue. That's pretty much a thing from now on. You know, we're officially at the point where Archer is right. Capital R is no longer a true statement. So, he is the one who has to do this. What I do like about it is he continues to use the same approach he used with Degra. Total openness and honesty. You killed seven million of my people and I hate being here. <laughs> and then he immediately follows that by hitting the hardest to swallow fact first. The fact that the Sphere Builders, the Tutarians, are uh, the Guardians and one and the same. And thus they are the actual threat here. That is a good tactic. I will give you that one, Captain. So, Dolem, Stonewall's very hard. It's actually fascinating watching this scene. It's it's one of the better written scenes in the episode. There's a couple of badly written scenes here because Manikoto isn't a perfect writer, but you know, he has, he struggles with dialogue in quite a few scenes. It's pretty obvious. I do too, so I, I sympathize. But the, the 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 interplay of that scene is clearly someone went over that with a fine tooth comb. Because Archer tries brute honesty and trying for shock value to initially hit with the hardest facts, Dolem immediately turns around and says, no, 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 and just tries to shut down any conversation. He actually takes steps to ensure that the conversation will not continue, because simply having the conversation at all is a threat to his position. And uh, there's actually terms for these particular forms of rhetoric. I don't remember them. It's been... Two decades since I've been in debate club, okay? I, I don't remember all the terminology. <laughs> My memory isn't that good. I mean, I remember things older than that. But, you know, those things were important to me. Debate club was just a, was just a credit. Anyways, <clears throat> so that's cool. This then leads to uh, Degra and Dalem, who ram heads for a while. Kong, 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 kong. Until finally Dalem actually tries to, not filibuster, it's more like an inverse filibuster. Because he just leaves. This council cannot continue to speak as long as the council is not called, and the council is no longer called because I am leaving, along with the insectoids. I want you to remember how much the insectoids are with the reptilians for all this. Please remember that. It's going to come up. So, this leads to a side note, because we've got the B-plot going over in the background with the shuttle pod going into the sphere. So the shuttle pod goes in, and she's like, there, there's a spot. It's like, are you sure? I don't see anything. And she, of course, says, oh, it's a hologram, don't worry. Just be very careful about your approach. Oh, wait, no, she doesn't say that because she's a moron. This scene is stupid. This this scene is actually what I would call negative territory because it's completely unnecessary from an in-universe or out-of-universe perspective. 
in universe, there is no reason for her to just do this and not say the, you know, it's a hologram. <laughs> or just trust me if you want to go that route. But no, she just says, and I quote, um, I wrote it down here. Hold your course. And then she repeats herself, hold your course. I actually wrote this down too, just to really hammer in how stupid this scene is. So that's 25, uh, that doesn't make sense. 32? For 34 solid seconds, she has 34 seconds to be able to say, it's a hologram or just, or, you know, it's okay. It's, it's, it's an actual aperture. It doesn't look like one, but it is. There's so many different ways she could say this. And instead, she just tries to fake up the drama, the super fake drama of this scene. And everyone's like, oh, my God, we're going to crash. Oh, no. And Reed actually tries to pull out of the descent just because he's freaking out so hard. And she's like, hold your course. Hold your course, man. It's super dramatic. Oh, we're in. Okay. Dumb scene. Moving on. Dolem is suitably loyal. We'll talk more about him in just a minute. But you'll notice that this then leads to her approach. So she is the Tutarian woman. She doesn't have a name. That's why I just kind of keep dancing around that. She tries to talk to Dollam and say, hey, you should work for me totally and explicitly. Notice she uses a completely different tactic in every way than she did with Degra. Rather than being the loose, casual walking around, she is rigid and in control, which of course he would respond well to. And she is demanding and domineering. To the point where when one of the lieutenants said, perhaps we should have evidence that you didn't build the spheres, her response is, are you challenging me on that? Note that she doesn't actually answer the question or respond to it in any way other than, how dare you question me? (laughs) Completely different tactics than what she used previously. Then she offers total dominance to Dalem and to the reptilians. You will be in charge, rule supreme over all the Zindi. This is what we call too sweet of a deal. I've talked about this a lot because this comes up a lot in fiction. If someone offers you a really good deal that looks too good, it probably is too good. And either they don't intend to pay you, they don't expect you to survive the effort, or, well, worse. And don't don't ask me to go into details there because that's like case by case. But that's generally how that goes. So if someone's like, hey, here's a trillion dollars to go do this, uh, no. Degra then has an interaction with Tucker. My only regret about this scene is that this could have been something done more. We've already seen Degra and Tucker interact, and actually they have had some good scenes together. But in this case, Tucker has dialed it down a little bit, He's but Degra feels the need to almost violently justify himself to Tucker. Remember, Degra is very personal. It's all about the individual's. And so him seeing one person whose one pain was caused by him and his, especially a familial pain, that's something Degra, you just, you you have to address that, right? I bet you know exactly what that feels like. You know it doesn't really matter, right? But let me, here, look, look, let me explain, please. Please, let me just elaborate, right? And so he tries and Tucker's just like, yeah, all right, whatever. There's a couple of padding scenes that really don't need to be here. This then leads to uh, Hawkins dying. That sucks, actually, a lot. Um, I, I don't know what else to add to that. Hawkins gets disintegrated, so thankfully it was quick. We see that the spheres at least have self-defense mechanisms. 
Thankfully, Travis decided to be a character. Ah, not really a character. More like a usefulness. Whoa, you on attack. Yeah. Mm. To be useful and charge in with the shuttle pod to save them. Because otherwise that would have been game. And that's the death of uh, Reed and T'Pol, as well as a bunch of other things. While I'm here, I'm going to mention one thing. At first, I was a little irritable because Hawkins' death is in many ways treated like a redshirt death. Except for the fact that they have a follow-up scene where Reed is legitimately pissed at the death of it. This helps. This kind of stuff helps. It's only the one scene, but it does help to soften the blow and to make this actually a relevant death. Rather than just, and the situation is serious. I also like his statements. You know, 20% casualty is considered acceptable by standard military doctrine, and we are well past that. And this leads to, you know, the maids of the many, the maids of the one, blah, yada, yada. But what I like best is not that quote. That quote has its own relevance in other Star Trek works I will not discuss here. What I like more is his response to that. That doesn't make his death more acceptable. And her response is, no, it doesn't, but it does make it more honorable. I kind of like that approach. The, the presentation there, too often in real life we do this, but especially in fiction, we tend to treat deaths as a good thing. Death, you know, sacrificing, heroic death, that kind of thing. It's a good thing, right? I prefer the tack that it is a bad thing that has a layer of good to it. It is not a good thing that Hawkins died. But Hawkins' death has ensured that they were able to survive long enough to get their mission done. Therefore, it wasn't in vain. It wasn't wasted, right? It was, as she said, honorable. And I kind of like that approach. Just wanted to comment on that briefly. So, then, we go back to the council chamber, and Dalem is receptive. Very receptive. Yeah, I, I would have been a little bit more suspicious if I were them. This is, this is probably the biggest idiot ball moment of the whole episode. Everyone just kind of seems to think that, that the Dreptilians have decided to start listening. Sure. Nevertheless, they agree to postpone... And it's like, okay, you know, the beginnings of the future. It's a very awkward dialogue, awkward handshake. But then Tucker and Degra, they kind of start to make up a little bit. And honestly, I do like that little tidbit between the two of them. It's a little quick because it's effectively happened in two and a half episodes. But it's still a nice little character beat. And, you know, it makes sense that Tuck, it's a necessary character beat for Tucker. He needs to come face-to-face to the person who is most directly responsible for killing his sister and accept and embrace and forgive that person because that person did not do that out of malice or hatred or evil intent, but rather was themselves manipulated against their will, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. Being willing to let go of that is an important thing. There's even this bit where Phlox mentions that, you know, anger is an old friend. Well, you have other friends. Oh, I also have a tapeworm. <laughs> good, uh, good filler bit. Legitimately, good filler bit, you know, the idea of trying to discuss and, and just deal with that. Because it's true, in many cases, we get very, very used to feeling certain ways. And we tend to get resistant to changing how we feel about that. Even when that feeling is not a good one. Even when it's pain or fear or anger or whatever. When it's something that just, ugh, and demonstrably makes our life worse. We're very used to it because we've been doing it for so long. You know? So, things are all going well. Naturally, this is the moment where things start going badly. Dalem shows up, and 
I feel like this is one of the first moments Dalem has been truly honest in the whole show so far. I hate this place. It's, it's too exposed. Which says a lot about his mentality. He looks at this fortress and all he thinks of is its military defensibility. And it also has the stench of failure, which says a lot about his mentality about, you know, who should survive, etc. You know, no, no mercy for the weak because screw them, they're the weak, right? And he, this then leads to Degra saying, they left me no choice in his response, and you have left me none. Stab, Degra dies. Now, we have two things to talk about. First is Degra, who just died, obviously. So, Degra... There's conflicting reports on this one. I've actually seen multiple interviews from the same people who disagree with themselves. You know how that goes. But it's uncertain how much of Degra's arc was planned out in advance. It is almost certain that they were debating as they were going through, because if nothing else, the inconsistency of the interviews indicates that they hadn't made up their minds yet. They weren't sure if they were going to kill him, or if they were going to keep using him. Now, they wanted him to be a character early on. That was a definitive thing. But by most accounts, when they bought it, brought in uh, Randy Oglesby, who's the gentleman who plays Degra, he's, he's a good character actor. He's done some good stuff. Probably I remember most for Solaran Prin back in Deep Space Nine. He did so well with the role that they were like, oh, we've got to, we've got to write him in more. We've got to have more stuff for Degra. And we've got to have him go into preeminence, or, or pro more prominence, excuse me. And as they were writing this out, at some point they are like, oh, should we kill him off? Do we kill him off? Uh, the actor himself mentions that he wasn't aware of the death until pretty recent to it. Maybe that means they had it planned out. Maybe it means they decided towards the last minute. Who knows? But either way, this is a actually a re reasonably decent moment because it robs us of our best ally, while at the same time securing the rest of our allies. What Dalem does here is a power play that fails miserably, because in so doing, he has guaranteed the rest of the Zindi are now firmly in the camp of the future Federation, you know, the allies of the humans and the Zindi. Except for the insectoids, we'll talk about them later. We will. It'll come up. And in so, and it's funny, he even gives them a chance. Do you want to join us, or do you want to be against us? And, of course, nobody goes with it, except for the insectoids. So, that's whatever. But I bring up all of this, because not only is it interesting for Degra, who has now left us, who was an awesome side character and probably my favorite, you know, recurring guest star of this particular arc, but it brings into light Dalem, who is a character I haven't discussed much yet, because for the most part, he's just been the bad guy. Now, I already mentioned how the actor tried to portray him as a little bit more gray than that, just a bit, trying to make him more of an extremist than evil. Do you think he qualifies as a two-dimensional character or a one-dimensional character? Do you think there are depths to him? He does offer the council the chance to join him, after all. He does claim he cares about Zindi's singularity. He does care most uh, uh, egregiously. That seems like the wrong one. He, he cares most uh, violently, we'll go with that, about betrayal. And he certainly has a very tribal mentality. And in fact, he's got layers of tribalism. He is also a complete bootlicker for the Tatarian, so that's cute. And um, he has absolutely no problem doing whatever act is necessary. He has no moral or ethical compunctions whatsoever. Like, I, I mean, completely off the board, amoral, 
amoral, someone who just actively does not care about morality at all. What do you think? Do you think he qualifies? We'll actually be seeing more of him in a bit here, obviously, because he's he's the villain, so he's not going to die in the third to last episode. That's where we lost Degra. <sighs> so there's the big action sequence. Oh, my God, we lost him. No! And, you know, uh, the counselor comes in, and, and the, the rest of the Zindi have firmly allied with humanity, and they're like, We've, we're going to make this happen. We're going to unify. Oh, my gosh, they're launching the weapon. They've taken control of the weapon. We figured out how to launch it with only two. <laughs> and then they kidnap Hoshi. Raise eyebrow. Cut to black. This might be one of the most string continuity sequences uh, in the whole se- the whole arc, actually. These I've mentioned before how uh, Azadi Prime, Damage, and the Forgotten are effectively one episode. These these last few are as well effectively one episode. The events string immediately into the next one, and I I think it's a good work, at, at least within limitations. But I've talked about that enough, and I've talked about this enough. I hope you have enjoyed my thoughts. As always, I will see you next week for part two.